Hello and welcome to the ARPT Comics Podcast, episode 247. I'm here with Chris Copeland. Chris, thank you so much for being a guest co-host again, man. Always happy to be here. Is this the hat trick or we already hit the hat trick? I don't know. Numbers don't mean anything. Yeah, we we, may, we actually say that almost on every show when we, when yeah. we say the episode number because it's... <laughs> Hard to believe we've done this many episodes. Almost 250. How are you doing this fine November 12th? Good, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. We have a great interview with Steve Fox coming up later in the show. Uh, we talk about everything from Spider-Woman that's coming out, his new Spider-Woman series coming out later in the month, to Dead X-Men, to his X-Men Unlimited series, uh, and also his Dark Horse book, All Eight Eyes. We, we dig into a lot. The dude is so freaking... He's also editing books like The Deviant. I think almost every James Tynan book he's editing. Yeah. Save for like DC work. Uh, we went at one point, we go over everything that he's putting out, and it's abs- I don't know how he has time to do anything. Yeah, he's quietly one of the most prolific writers out there for sure. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, there's not a lot of folks out there who are, who are writing and editing comics at the same time, yeah. too. Um, usually it's just a one person gig. But uh, if you're first joining this show, this is the APT Comics Podcast where we talk about the biggest news of the week. We review our favorite comics. We have special guests too. Of course, I just talked about that. And this week we have a special poem. <laughs> Everyone was expecting that. All right, let me read it to you guys. Ready? Roses are red like the comics we adore. In podcast episodes, tales galore. Microphones whisper like comic book pages, a podcast journey through vibrant stages. Listeners tune in like turning a page, exploring the comic book universe, engaging in the age. The host shares insights, laughter, and jest. In each episode, a fan's heart is blessed. So here's the podcast where fandoms convene with roses so red and a comic book sheen. In the world of panels and stories so vast, a podcast blooms. Making memories that last. Uh? If I could snap my fingers, I would actually do that right now. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's that's based, that explains the show better than I could uh, before, even though I already did explain the show. So I explained it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on but to the biggest. to the medium of poetry. Exactly. No one was expecting that. This show's about curveballs. No one... Talk about curveballs. Rob, Rob Liefeld's Heroes Reborn cover. Original art. Selling for $17,500 on Heritage Auctions. I know we talked about this last week, but man, I think it's doubled. If I think it's at least doubled since we last spoke about this last week. And it's gone up at least a few grand in the last probably week, week and a half. Like... I would say five or six grand easily. What's crazy too? There's six more days, so it's not even done. It's gonna go up to probably twenty thousand at the at the at the least, I would say. But Heritage gets a cut, so that seventeen thousand five hundred is actually twenty one thousand dollars. Someone has to pay to get this art. And this is the that art. That is amazing. <laughs> this is the art that um, is prolific, right? Because uh, it's been lampooned. Ooh. Do we want to call it prolific? Is that the word that we want to... Like, I would say that, like, Uh, the Mona Lisa is prolific. mm. I would say this piece is, like, borderline offensive and infamous. Mm. Infamous is good, yeah. I mean, it's been lampooned so much that... I mean, has it helped the comics medium for the fact that it exists at all? Yeah, because everybody gets to laugh about it. (laughs) You know, you just gave it's the a, idea. It's a shared joke that we're all in on. The guy who for buys this, Rob Liefeld, needs to go to the Louvre 
and yeah. like a Banksy move, <laughs> stick it next to the Mona Lisa. Just <laughs> slap it right up there. And then when he's tackled yeah. moments later. By Rob Liefeld. I, I did this for Rob. I did this for Rob. Oh, man. Rob would probably tweet something like about how this is just another example of how influential he is on the universe. <laughs> yes. That is, I think that would be his take. I don't um, know if that would be my thing, but... What do you think this art will go for at the end? What's your guess? I I think I've said like 25. 25, Like okay. all set in time. Man, whoever buys this, either they're a celebrity who's rich, or maybe it's a comic store that is doing well and wants to put it up somewhere. I think it's just got to be a random collector. Yeah, like, yeah. Somebody. This would be the, the linchpin of, I think, a lot of people's... Mm. Uh, collections for some reason like yeah. you would you would be the holder of the weirdest worst part of comics history <laughs> nice well said uh the opposite of the worst uh comics history news is this new series called helen of windhorn it's coming march 2024 and it reteams bilquis evely tom king and Mateus um oh gosh lopez uh, with a Dark Horse original series, creator-owned book, um, and it sounds super awesome because it is a combo of Conan the Barbarian and the Wizard of Oz. What? That sounds rad, right? Yeah. I've loved Evelie's work for a long time now, um, prior to even their Supergirl uh, series, Woman of Tomorrow, that Tom King and Evelie and Mateus did. And so I just, I can't wait for this. It sounds super cool. There's... I don't know, fantasy elements. It almost looks like it could be a freaking Sandman book. Maybe I'm thinking that because Bilquis did do a bunch of, you know, uh, the dreaming books <laughs> within the Sandman universe, but it has that yeah. wistful magicalness with this cover and this strange man looking at her behind the mansion. I also think that, like, I mean, this the Supergirl series got a lot of, like, well-due praise, but I think it's just one of those books that, like, I've gone back to issues a couple times in the last few months and like yeah. they work really well together and I think there's just so much more stuff there and I feel like this is going to be mm. kind of the same book mm-hmm. especially because they're it seems like they're you know reinventing their own kind of you know world and, and you know context and history to explore so yeah I'm excited also Dark Dark Horse I think has been doing really good with original series as of late yeah they've been putting out one to three original graphic novels for a solid two years now. Um, Yeah. Like even like Mulder from the X-Files made one. Not the (laughs) character, of course, the actor. David Duchovny. Ah, yes. The Duchovs, as they call him in the the business. Um, No one calls him that. Speaking of um, putting out original uh, new titles, creator-owned books, Dawn Runner was also announced this week for Dark Horse. That's also coming out in March. And this one's by Ram V., and Evan Cagle, this one is kaiju mecha sci-fi stuff going on. Uh, there's a portal that opened up over Central America, and a giant monster fell out, and or, or jumped out. I don't know if it fell, but anyway, uh, we have a gravity, of, David. Gravity. You know, we don't know. This could be a monster from a universe where there is no gravity. I make my own stories in the news. Is that, is that a thing? <laughs> There's some really pretty covers here. Clearly, there's some sort of um, <clears throat> melding of person and machine with these mechs because there's like a cover by Tula Latte that has someone like like swimming in computer motherboard chips or something. 
But uh, I did see someone's on our AFPT Discord say, "Hey, isn't that Pacific Rim?" <laughs> and they're not, quite, which it is, which is, yeah, they're not wrong. I mean, you can't like, <clears throat> you know, copyright kaiju mecha monster uh, action adventures, but you know, yeah, copyright with, be damned when it's giant robots. Mm-hmm. With Ron B behind, I'm sure it'll be compelling in a poetic, thoughtful sort of way. Yeah. You just talked to Ram uh, a week ago, right? Yeah, a couple weeks ago, actually, for mm-hmm. Detective Comics and the the Vigil. Yeah. Um, what I'm I'm curious about this book is I feel like, and maybe, um, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like there's there's a sense of like books are getting announced way mm. earlier than they yeah. used to be. Mm-hmm. Like this one's not out till March. The one with um, Tom King and Bill Cosby isn't out till March. So I'm kind of a fan of like that extended wait period like yeah. it makes things more exciting like it's you know it's i think it's like a movie um hmm. Hmm. drawing it out drawing right. out the tension and making mm-hmm. people wait and, and this one's already got some some solid reviews from people who have you know creators who have either read the book or seen pages so yeah you know i think that it might be due campaign. to diamond diamond going out uh as far as being the main distributor yeah. right because they were Everyone was forced to solicit their books at a certain period of time. And now with Penguin, like you see it even in the Marvel and DC solicits, it's like the January to solicits actually have a couple of February titles in there. Uh, and yeah. Marvel has been doing this more and more too, where they're telling you about books two or three months past. Where oh, yeah, easily. Are. So, yeah, maybe it's like a I, distributor, distributor thing. Yeah, I think it's just smarter. It makes, mm-hmm. you know, you run the risk of maybe like, forgetting some books in the grand scheme of things but i think you also you just get more of a chance to think about it and talk about it and make it feel like a big deal something that i think robert kirkman is maybe not known for in the in the public sphere but if you're in the into the comics back you know digging into like the nitty-gritty of things um something Mm -hmm. he's known for is giving comic shops like their first five to even like 10 issues of books like three months before it comes out to help yeah. uh, create buy-in and, and get the comic shop owner knowing what's coming so they can better sell and position the book yeah. to their readers. And this is I, doing just that. Yeah. I think that's happened on our end too. You know, I've, there's been a couple of times in the last few months where like I've gotten, you know, the first two or three issues of a book to mm-hmm. read just, you know, not even for interviews, not even for like, you know, solicits or whatever, just like, here it is. This is coming down the pipeline. Like be ready. And I think that's great. Yeah, you know it, it opens up more opportunities and it makes things I don't know feel more important and more and more aligned with hey we want to sell this and so we're going to put forth the effort to like make it be sellable mm-hmm. and it helps influencers like you sell the book too yeah <laughs> influencers yeah you're on Instagram right don't you like push like a lot of water and jewelry i do i have a line of uh athletic jorts oh shoot dude that's that is a that is a prime area right now for growth yeah i'm really (laughs) breaking that market you know what else is a prime area for growth is what if that's right what if is getting its own its own uh quarter just for one character what if Dot, dot, dot. Venom is coming out. It's a five-issue series launching in 2024. 
Uh, you know, it's funny. What if it's usually known for its like one shot aspect? Anything can happen in any issue. But here we know Venom will be involved in every issue. Uh, this one is written by Jeremy Holt with art by Jesus Har Harvas. And um, judging by the cover by Lionel Francis Yu, it looks like we're going to get a Loki Venom, a Moon Knight Venom, uh, a Wolverine Venom, a Doctor Strange Venom. And is that a She-Hulk Venom? I can't tell. Probably. Anyway, um, there's some designs that were released. If you go to aptcomics.com, you can check them out. There's a, a gnarly uh, Venom Moon Knight design and a Venom She-Hulk design. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a neat idea. It's a uh, it's kind of honing in the what if model into like okay, you know what what if is all about, but here's one character that'll get the focus. Hmm. So is that each of the five issues is a different Venom story, or it's all one five issue story about Venom? Yeah, it's I'm not sure. The solicitation. Either says, way, I, yeah. Either way, I think it's great. I think it's you know what ifs are. They're cool as like that one shot, but I, I yeah, yeah you can tell more of a story and still have it not be like some big involved mm -hmm. process. I think it's going to be one shot space. style, just a different hero each time. But that's yeah. uh, the solicit doesn't really say, but it kind of alludes to it. I don't know. Either way, I think it's it's a nice change of pace. Maybe people will invest more if it's it feels like a bigger project than just here's one book. Are you ready for the change of pace that is Avengers Twilight that's coming out uh, later this, in a couple of weeks, or if not month? No, January, the first issue comes out. Yeah. Um, uh, no, no one is ready. <laughs> this is, of course, Chip Zdarsky and Daniel Acuna's uh, new series that's set in the far future where Captain America seems to be out of sorts. He's uh, aged, but also kind of amongst the people in their sci-fi futuristic focus it's a six issue series but the third issue solicit came out along with covers of miss marvel in giant mode in biggin mode if you will in biggin yeah um the solicit says this issue will take captain america off the shores of new york to the raft a government facility full of secret and danger can cap infiltrate it before the new iron man gives him the same gruesome fate as tony stark <gasps> iron man is killing dun, dun, dun. Oh <laughs> iron murderer <laughs> Hey, that's a pretty good guy. Thanks. The silence is deafening. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? Moving on to the next bit of news. This has to be the most exciting news for many. I saw so many people sharing this news on Twitter. Night Thrasher is getting a miniseries kicking off in February. And I did not know there was such a huge Night Thrasher fandom. Because There's people... a crazy Night Thrasher fandom on, on Twitter. For some reason, I've yeah. seen it. I don't. I'm not connected to it, but I I've seen it, and I, it's it's amazing. Mm. People were saying like, finally, 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 and it's it's not necessarily a character I think about too often, um, or ever. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he was pretty rad. I think he didn't he ride a skateboard even in the '90s. I'm pretty sure he did. He did. He had an action. That's been his whole like gimmick this entire time. Yeah. I just, I mean, you know, sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'm like, God, who will thrash the night tonight? <laughs> and there's only one answer. <laughs> Jay Holtham Paul will be Rudd. writing with art by uh, Nelson and Daniel. Did you say Paul Rudd? I did say Paul Rudd. Oh, my God. Paul Rudd will be the night thrasher. Uh, also uh, teased this week were new clues for February's X-Men titles. There are two titles. There are, of course, The Fall of the House of X, 
which makes me think of the fall of the House of Usher and Rise of the Power of X, or is it Rise of the Power of the Ten? Probably the Ten. Um, we've got some info as well as some art on aptcomics.com. It looks like Polaris is going full Magneto mode. Um, she's all green, but in a Magneto-esque costume. And uh, it looks like Gil- Karen Gillan is playing around with some sort of alternate dimension slash timeline stuff. This is all barreling towards the end of Krakoa. And no, that is not me saying that. Marvel literally is saying the age of Krakoa is ending. <laughs> People are very sad. It, it's sad. I mean, I feel like uh, this is, I was never a huge X person, but I feel like this last few years has given me a chance to like get in and understand the, what's been appealing to so many people for so long and and play around with new characters and new ideas. And I mean, things have to end, but yeah, this is going to be a little bittersweet. And like you were saying, like when it, when whatever happens after Cocoa age ends, there will be a new chance for folks to come in on the ground floor and fall in love with these characters. Like we have over and over again. It's like a toxic relationship, isn't it? New story arc, new 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 creators come in, and now Spider Man is like single again, and then you're just like, what's happened? Where's MJ? <laughs> uh, DC is continuing its Dawn of DC into 2024. They're actually promising that this Dawn of DC will continue to the end of 2024. This is, of course, their initiative that was launching new series like Wonder Woman and Cyborg, among many others, and they are now teasing the Trinity of Evil. What is the freaking obsession DC has with Trinities? You know, the Trinity is... They have have the best Trinity in the world, (laughs) so why not just, you know, play that for all it's worth? But the characters don't like... It's like Batman's like, listen, the Trinity is going to show up, dude. And that, of course, is Superman and Wonder Woman. First off, why would he say that? Also, they're... They're very clickish. They operate like a fucking trio without actually saying it. You're right. The Justice League is a click. Or actually, how you're supposed to pronounce it, clique. <laughs> I don't think that's true. That's true. Look it up. It's clique, my, yeah. th- my friend. This is one of those words that like... society has said wrong, but it was always clique. Le clique. Ne- like the next that. 45 minutes will be us arguing about this. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the Trinity of Evil, I think... so. The press release wasn't very clear, um, probably on purpose, but I think it's Amanda Waller, Queen Brainiac, and the Batman of Zuran R. Um, yeah. Those are the three main villains in the stories they talk about in the press release. But for all I know, something evil is coming could be some other trinity of evil. But um, essentially, a lot of this is stuff we already found out at NYCC and SDCC earlier this year, but Titans Beast World is kind of kicking this off where it looks like Beast Boy's powers, he like loses uh, control of them and it unleashes on the world. Uh, maybe people are becoming animals or something. Uh, uh, I think that's what's happening. I don't know. Do you know anything more about this than I do? I do not know more, but I love that idea of instead of Beast Boy changing, everybody else changes, which is so silly it just works. It's a lot similar, though, to the story they kicked off last January. Remember when... There were like, everyone was getting mutations and powers because of the Lazarus yes. pits. The Lazarus, yeah. Is it the same? I don't know. Maybe it's a little different. Maybe but, it is. But I I will say this. I'm, I've am i been really excited for Dawn of DC this entire time. And I, I hope it goes past 2024. Hmm. I'd like to see, you know, 
I mean, if this is the the latest era from DC, I think it's been mm. weird and inclusive, and uh, you know, all sorts of things, and you know, it feels like a shot in the arm. That's interesting. You make me think, like, you know, people talk about the New Fifty Two as like the yeah. starting point. Could the dawn of DC be considered a? I guess if they keep it going for a while, it will be. Yeah, I mean, it felt like they were trying to do something to that extent of not just telling specific stories, but saying like, Hey, this is like a, if you want to jump on now is kind of the time mm-hmm. things are coalescing and building for the next few years. Well, they, they promise new stuff and they, you're certainly getting it with a new task force X, uh, Nia Nal and AKA dreamer will be on the task force X that's run by Waller in suicide squad dream team. Um, and yeah, a lot of people were talking about that. I saw this week curious about yeah. that. And, uh, of course we are, we know Chip Zdarsky is barreling towards Batman Zurin R and the internal battle Batman is going through as he's losing control and also trying to kill Joker. <laughs> internal bat toll. Whoa. Look at you. Pun master pun. That's wicka, over my wicka, head. Wicka, wicka. That's his uh, rap name. It's terrible. We'll work uh, it. You know what's not terrible? Godzilla? Oh my god, how did you know I was going to say that? Godzilla, the original Marvel Year's Omnibus is coming out in 2024. Marvel uh, released this news, and it is coming out in October 2024. Now that's an advanced look. Uh, yes. To be quite there we go. frank, I had no idea there was Godzilla Marvel Year's. I, I knew there was ROM, because I mean, he was tied into X-Men and stuff. There's some history there. Uh, but, and I know there's, I think there's Alien even too, or maybe it's Predator. I don't know. But, uh, Marvel's on a tear of making these omnibuses of their older titles. Cause like I just said, they've got a Predator one coming out. They've got a Dark Horse one coming out. Well, of course the Dark Horse one, sorry, not the Dark Horse one, Alien and Predator. A lot of those books were uh, Dark Horse. But in this case, Doug Menk is writing, uh, with art by Herb Trimp and Tom Sutton. The fact that I didn't know these comics existed makes me wary that these are good or not. But I know, you know, Herb Trimp is really really good he's did so many marvel titles classic titles drawing them of course i feel like from what i've seen of these marvel omnibuy uh they've been pretty good they're a little kind of deep cut stuff but yeah you know it's good to see that they have like a a deeper roster a deeper library Mm. than even you know super fans are aware of you know what library is getting deeper library pass our own <laughs> library pass and oni press are teaming up for digital access for all libraries and schools that are using the library pass uh app which is called comics plus um this is great news for you know libraries across the u.s um and particularly also because this is a growing library image comics about a year ago joined library pass mm-hmm. as well and this is where folks can take out as many of the books as they want and read them in at the same time and yeah just giving people the ability to have access to classics and the deep bench that oni press and lion forge because they are now combined have is uh, is great news there's you know a few different library-esque programs that i think are available to people through different stuff like hoopla and libby and all that stuff and the the more access the better mm-hmm. yeah that's your mantra in all things in life, yes. the more access, the better. Unless we're talking about my cookies. Oh, <laughs> oh wow! I was going to do a Titanic joke, but you beat me. Uh, you beat me with a better one. 
Yep, sure did. No one's going to know that Titanic joke either. I'm never going to say it on the show. Nope. <laughs> it's going to die with you. <laughs> Take it to the grave. Moving on to our next segment, our top books. So we're going to talk about our top two favorite comics out this week. Chris, what's your second favorite book of the week? Oh, let's go with Punisher number one. Oh, you just thought of that? Yeah. yeah. I just right off the top of my head. <laughs> Why is it your uh, second favorite book of the week? You and I had a conversation a few days ago kind of about these books and sort of how they've debuted this character. And I think that the approach from the creative team was a little kind of inventive and weird and it felt little jarring, which I think, you know, having had time to digest the book for, for some time is, is really a great approach. And I think that they're, you know, uh, is he kind of the same character in a lot of ways as Frank Castle? Yeah. But I think that, um, you know, maybe that's the point. And we're, we're getting a level of comfort and a level of familiarity, even as we're sort of being dropped into this new story. And it's my hope that, you know, we have that connection and they can kind of build who this new guy is um, from the ground up. Yeah, Punisher has a interesting history in the last 10 years where folks have been using his symbol, uh, blazoning their cars, putting it on their clothes. Uh, their oversized trucks. Uh, actually, we have two articles about uh, companies selling Punisher memorabilia without the license and seemingly not getting in trouble with Disney but, uh, for doing it. So uh, I feel like this is a kind of a move to get away from Frank Castle a little bit. Obviously, the symbol has changed a little bit. It's more mm-hmm. sci-fi techie with his gear, which I thought was cool in the first issue here. Yeah. Um, and it's also a nice reminder to supervillains and criminals to not kill someone's entire family and yeah. not get Stop them Stop mur- Yeah. Murder the whole family, or just leave the family alone, or maybe just one family member, because then the rage won't be so much that they will become Punisher. You see, mm, maybe <laughs> I think one or none is probably one or none. Okay, well, let's go with that. I don't know. Agree to disagree on that one. Yeah. Uh, my second favorite book of the week was uh, Transformers Number Two by Daniel Warren Johnson. Good lord, this book is so beautiful. His art is amazing. It's intense. It's kinetic. It's inventive. The dude's got fighter jets fleeing one of the Decepticons, and the dude does one of the Hulk slaps to use the air from his hands to like push them out of their parachutes uh, and into more danger. Um, you know, Warren Johnson is basically getting to start kind of fresh with the Transformers now that it's at Skybound. So that's another reason why this is pretty exciting and interesting. Of course, there are familiar tropes at work here. Everyone's trying to get Energon, that energy that powers everything. Um, <clears throat> so there is a MacGuffin at work, but not every Transformer is present. Not every Decepticon is present. Um, and there is a relationship budding uh, with Optimus Prime and a human. <laughs> In the first scene, Optimus accidentally steps on a deer and kills it. And he's like, oh, damn, what did I do? And he's like all upset. <laughs> What's on my boot? Yeah, and then the kid's like, it's okay, Optimus. I saw what happened. It was an accident. Of course, in my back of my mind, I'm like, vegans aren't thinking that. But um, <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of a... You could see Daniel Warren Johnson is getting into the, like, humanity and life and death elements that I think a lot of people gravitate towards with, with the cartoon, especially when Optimus Prime died. Sorry, spoilers, if you haven't seen the cartoon. 40 years oh, later. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say 50 years ago. Um. 
But really, what stands out to me is these elements, but the art is just spectacular. I also really like this book, and I think, yeah, I wasn't always the biggest Transformers Same. head, um, but I think this is, it, it harkens back to some of the things I recognize from, from the cartoons and from the other kind of properties, but it also, yeah, it's it's doing something new, and um, yeah, again, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful book, yeah. and I just love, I love what... Daniel Warren Johnson and uh, Mike Spicer do together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to see. I wonder how long he's planning on doing this book. I, it's my hope that like they put some long-term investment and like let him really, yeah. you know, cause there's so much to explore. There's so much to do. And mm-hmm. I think it almost demands like a longer run for sure. But what was your favorite book of the week? My favorite book of the week uh, was Knights issue number two. Um, I'm the biggest fan of this entire book. I've talked about it to a few different people. I think it's one of my favorites. It's weird and funny and heartfelt and kind of creepy and foreboding. And it's, you know, it's the best kind of horror experience, I think, because it's, you know, there's, there's layers to it. And I just, I can't. I can't say enough good things about it. And also this, this issue specifically, like, you know, number one ends on kind of like a really weird, intense note. And then no, the second book is, um, <laughs> it feels very like a, like a sitcom episode mm. with the main character, Vince and, and the new kind of side character. Um, and it just, it's just such a weird term, but it, it, it does so much for, for saying just what this kind of book is and what it's interested in and the character development and the layers of the universe. I just like, I, uh, I can't think of a better book right now. There's a lot of inventive ideas visually yeah. storytelling wise that are really exciting for some yeah. people like us who read a lot of comics. Cause there's some yeah. fresh visual ideas at work here. Yeah. I mean, and then he's, they're also doing, you know, different things like making, you know, their versions of ghosts, their versions of monsters feel a little different. Mm. It's just, yeah, it's just about making those little twi- tinges and little tweaks and they, they have a lot of power. And I'm just, I'm excited to see where this goes. And I have, I have no idea where, where it's going to be. True blood meets kids meets oblivion meets drop dead Fred is what you said in your interview with Wyatt Kennedy and Luigi from Rosano. Everyone should go check out that interview. It's really good. Yes. I am good interviewer. <laughs> Me good. Um, sorry, I've got a cat. Right <laughs> Show here. the cat. Ah! Hello. Hello. Not the cat's butt. Hey, I didn't have a choice in this. <laughs> you did. You're holding it. <laughs> well, she was like pushing against the microphone here. Uh, Ask her her favorite book. What's your favorite, favorite book, book of the, book of the week, week, Gizmo? Your book, Katie. <laughs> She likes meow, 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 meow. Zawa and the Belly of the Beast, number one, by Michael Delanis. Um, I've loved Michael's work for, it feels like, 13 years. <laughs> Amala's Blade was... That's something... a very specific number. Amala's Blade came out like 12 years ago, I think, and I, I, I loved every issue of it. There it is. He's, he's worked with, of course, James Tynan on The Woods and other titles um, like Wind. Um, and his ability to craft brand new worlds and create this YA like friendly visual style that's 
like one step away from animation um, is always present. And in this book, just a really inventive new idea at work here. He's writing and drawing this time. And there's an undercurrent of environmental, you know, awareness and, you know, global warming, kind of that kind of thing. But there's also like a lot of cheeriness. There's a monster that's chained in this basement and it appears that the only th- that's cheery as shit. The only way to get to its heart, though, is well-made cookies. That ah, cookie callback. Boy. Look at that. Did that on purpose. We planned that. No, but um, uh, yeah. No, the 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 main characters are really cheery. The monster ends up being cheery on the very last page too. But there, it is also scary at the same time. Anyway, there's a really cool like visual style going on and inventiveness going on, and just very imaginative and. Yeah, that's yeah. why it's. I, I have not had a chance to read it yet, but I, I love wind. And if it's anything kind of like that, it's going to be a whimsical experience. And and I've noticed just from what I've seen from, from previews of this book, like I feel like he's doing a really good job of, like you said, making it very YA, bright, shiny, kind of friendly open, but still having that, that undercurrent of kind of bigger, serious ideas. And I think that that's a hard balance to strike and, you know, yeah. if we're going back to wind, I think there was some of that in there too. Of let's make this fun and you know breezy, but also you know serious themes. There's, there's, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. <clears throat> yeah, it's a tricky thing to to. It's a razor's edge to walk. Huh? There you go. Reference. In our next segment, are you ready? I am. Was born ready. Stand out. Kapow. Moment of the week. Wow. Really good job there, dude. <laughs> See what I do? I undercut your excitement. With oh, my that's why we work so well together on this Funny. show when you, when you yes. co-host. <laughs> this is where we talk about our favorite co-host. panel or page from any comic out this week. Uh, I really liked a moment in Petrol Head, number one, by Rob Williams and Pi Parr. Uh, there's a lot of really cool moments in this one. It's actually a double-page spread that's been seen quite a bit at this point because it was in the preview and it was released before FOC even. Basically, it's one of the car chase scenes where uh, wheels coming off a crazy hot rod car and they're Uh. barreling down this crazy road and the city is lit in all this orange and there's a reason for that. And yeah, it's uh, exciting, kinetic. Pi is so good at drawing, like getting, giving speed and weight to things. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend checking out that issue too. We've talked about it, but the coloring as well is just... Mm perfect across this whole book like yeah every every page is just like crackling Mm -hmm. it's so great and this one especially is so much going on but just like oh yeah and pi i think he also colors it too it's all him and um, yeah yeah he was on the show a couple weeks ago if you guys want to listen to that interview it's pretty good we had some fun and we talk about popeye (laughs) Uh, but what is your kapow moment of the week it would be and i'm going to look at what i wrote down uh, do 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 Oh, midlife or how to hero at fifty, which I think is a book I haven't really heard enough people talking about. Mm-hmm. But that it's really good. This slice of life hero story about you know a middle aged man who's a like deputy administrative type uh, in a, a firefighter who suddenly figures out or learns that he's you know fireproof and that he decides to become a superhero and uh there's a shot there's a page in this scene that sort of shows him in his like weird 
old timey fireman's helmet and he's like pushing flames aside with his hands. And it's just like, just such a really big, vivid, epic kind of moment. But then you also sort of realize like, this is just like a middle-aged dude, like just trying his best. And like, I think it speaks to what the book's trying to do, the accessibility, the kind of messages or, or dissection of, you know, why, who, who are the type of people to become a hero and, and what do these people try and get out of this whole pursuit? And I think it's just like, it's such a cool shot and it has so many different things going on to it. And um, yeah, I think it's just a, a cool moment in a really cool book that I hope more people see. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It looks really, that's a cool concept. Yeah. It's from image comics as well. Moving on to our next segment, top books for next week. We're going to talk about our most anticipated comic out next week. I can't wait for The Deviant, number one, by James Tynan and Joshua Hickson, edited by Steve Fox, who's on later in the show. Yeah, this one is a Christmas story, <laughs> a Christmas horror story, and it's set in two different timelines, <clears throat> the present and a couple decades ago when a murder takes place. But who is the murderer? Is it just some dude or is it something else? Is it a monster? And uh, this this book is dealing with some interesting themes, um, including, you know, being a homosexual, particularly a, a couple decades ago when you were considered a deviant for being homosexual. And that theme is really compelling uh, when paired with horror. It's like, so all gay people are monsters? Um, and our main character is also gay, and there's some interesting things going on there, some psychology things, but then also there's a monster. Uh, and there's some like very like endearing Americana visuals in this book too, particularly in a mall uh, in the 70s <clears throat> that I think will harken back for a lot of folks who, uh, who are a little bit older and can think back to when malls were cool. <laughs> this is the book for people who, are li who like malls. <laughs> if, you, if you don't like malls, on down the road it's not for you i will say from what i've seen from this book normally the idea of yuletide horror kind of annoys me because i just think it's like okay you're just like mm -hmm. too much it's like a hat on a hat kind of situation right but i think that this one just looks great and you know i i'm i'm excited to sort of see how it plays out i think the the themes here, the dueling timelines, I think that really kind of helps make this feel really interesting. And, you know, uh, Tinyan's other horror stuff, I'm thinking about, um, what was it, The Closet that came mm, out? Yep, from Image. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, that was that was a great book. And so, you know, I'm, I'm all for him doing more horror. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he doesn't miss. Yeah. What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to uh, the vigil number six, um, which is sadly the end of the miniseries and um, a closing chapter for one of my favorite superhero comics right now. Um, five was a huge kind of like moment for the team and six is going to be, you know, a chance for some fallout to be explored and, you know, a possible kind of, you know, next chapter may be set up or maybe not. Who knows? Hmm. We'll have to read. <laughs> um, but I just think it's, you know, it's, we talked about kind of Ramby earlier about, you know, the, the poignancy. And I think that he has a kind of like a really deliberate take on, on writing superheroes. And, um, 
th this is like a, the prime example of it. And I think that this is one of those series that when it's been out and done for a while, I think more people are going to kind of find it in the coming years. And, um, you know, it's, it's just such a really cool take and it's, it checks so many boxes for me in terms of how we sort of look at the superhero lens, the kind of representation offered, the questions asked, like all of that stuff. But then also just like a really cool book that does inventive, fun, really exciting, like set pieces. Yeah. I like the groundedness of this series. Yeah, it's super grounded, but then also the more you kind of read along, it's, it's very much not. But yeah, it kind of strikes that balance really well. Right, exactly, yeah. Uh -huh. This is about a team and a group of people trying to sort of figure themselves out and circumstances have become increasingly bizarre. And it's, it's just great. That's actually how you can describe the AIPT um, staff as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Moving on to our next segment, Judging by the Cover, Junior. We're going to... Pick out our favorite cover art out next week. Not this week. That's right, next week. And I think I think I beat you on this one. Let's just say if this was a competition, I wiped the floor with you. It's not, and you did. <laughs> I love the cover by Alex Ross for Fantastic Four number 13. We've got Doctor Doom riding Doctor Doom, the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Uh, uh, no, in judging by the cover, the actual column, I call him Doomasaurus Rex. <laughs> So. Oh, look at that. You're trying to top me. Not going to happen. Yeah. Not going to happen. Um, that's right. Chris is the ongoing columnist for Judging by the Cover Junior, which you can read every Monday where he picks out the best cover art and explains in easy to understand and poetic fashion why every cover is so damn good. Um, but yeah, uh, Alex Ross, I always say on the show, is a cheat on this segment because i mean does he ever miss yeah it's really hard not yeah it's really hard like i feel bad every time i pick an alex ross cover because i'm like well yeah of course i'd have to pick it i mean the thought that goes into how this armor even works on this t-rex and he's got a hood yeah. how does how does t-rex dr doom get his hood up does he does he have like a help someone helps him someone <laughs> helps him you always oh, you go from the back to the front on the t-rex if you go to apitamus AIPTcomics.com and go to this podcast post. You can see this art, of course. I know you can't see it listening, but the 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 verve, the energy, the the xenosequa of Doctor Doom on the back of this thing, and he's just like, "Yes, let's go." He's just the dude is loving it. He's loving life. That's uh, yeah. I I think in the the piece I commented that like it's Doom is one of those characters who can do really dumb stupid over-the-top things and you still take them serious and like this this whole cover is like proof positive of that oh, that's well said but what is your favorite cover my favorite cover is operation sunshine number two uh first off i loved the first issue and the second mm -hmm. one um it's if you don't like giant vampire drinking from a fountain that used to be a man's neck like mm. I think maybe we can't be friends. Yeah. Like making a Capri Sun out of a grown man. Mm. Like that's mm -hmm. what I'm all about. Um, yeah. And I just, I love David Rubin. I think that he's always had like such like a fun kind of whimsical style. And this one just adding in the kind of edge of just, just like extreme horror works really well. And it's just, Again, it's just like the eye-catching factor of it. It's one of those covers that mm -hmm. like grabs you and says, like, you have to pick me. Totally. Uh, moving on to our next episode, it's the interview with me and Steve Fox. We talk all about 
a bazillion things he's up to. It's a great one. Enjoy. So all this is Steve Fox. Steve, thank you so much for being on the APT Comics Podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, you are here April 2022. So uh, your your yearly visit is, is, <laughs> is being accomplished today, I think. Because <laughs> this is your third time on the show. But yeah, you are... Well, I understand why this is the third time on your show. Because you're so freaking busy. You probably don't have time to be on shows like this. Um, <laughs> you've got Dark X-Men, X-Men Unlimited, All Eyes coming out in trade paperback, Spider-Woman coming out at the end of the month. Um November 29th, actually. Uh, and Dead X-Men coming out January 31st. Uh, how do you juggle all these things? Plus, you're editing The Deviant, which I loved, by the way. Thank Fantastic you. work there. Uh, not only are you juggling superhero stuff, horror stuff, uh, your own indie creator-owned work. Like, man, how do you keep your head in one space? Uh, I don't. <laughs> uh, and I still do a lot of kids' work. I work, uh, I edit for first, second right. on a freelance basis. Yep. I, I write for first, second. A couple of books have been announced there. I do licensed stuff for like My Little Pony and, and other licenses. Uh, you know, that's the glamorous life of a freelance writer editor. You kind of have to spend, uh, spin one trillion plates to, to keep mm. it all going along. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, you know, I early in my career, I had a lot of anxiety over picking a lane of like oh well you know i got my start doing kids stuff but i i, I want to write for marvel or dc one day i i love horror i really want to do horror and i had a lot of anxiety that there would come a point where my road forked and i would have to choose one but thankfully it hasn't happened yet everyone's just kind of let me keep on trucking <laughs> nice uh, and as an editor, do you do you favor one over the other, writing or editing? No, I mean it's it's like going to the gym. Like you don't want to just mm. just do leg day all the time. Um, you, mm-hmm. you end up looking like a really misshapen freak. So uh, it's nice to be able to <laughs> to balance it so, out. Uh, so those folks who are just editors are hearing this. No, I just kidding. <laughs> no, well, it's funny. <laughs> I was talking to a, a very a very accomplished and respected editor um, in the industry the other day who was saying. He went to school for screenwriting and he had had mm. he had had goals of writing. But once he found the editorial role, he realized hmm. that was his passion. He didn't really have that itch anymore. Um, I still have both itches, so I keep doing both things. But, uh, they, you know, they bleed together in different ways. And when I'm editing James and, and helping him tell the best version of his stories, I'm learning from him, too. I'm learning from... Mm working with, you know, Fernando and Josh and Martin and the other artists I edit. Uh, it, so things apply back and forth. It's it's kind of a, right. a nice holistic process in the end. Yeah, and I'm sure when you're editing, it's even more collaborative in some cases than when you're writing, because sometimes you're writing and handing scripts to people, or it's being handed to someone and you don't necessarily know who's even drawing a book, right? Yeah, at times. I mean, I, I've been very lucky in my career that all the editor editor relationships I've formed have been really awesome. Um, I work a lot with nice. Jordan White and Lauren Amaro in the X-Men office. I've been working with Ellie Pyle and MR and um, on Spider-Woman, and I've gotten to work with Nick Lowe and Kaden McGahey in the Spider office too. So, you know, everyone I've been working with, uh, we've hit it off and really nice. And Daniel Shabon at Dark Horse, um, we've hit it off in, in really productive ways. Um, but it is true there, you know, a lot of times because of the way the the hectic pace of big two comics, I don't know who's drawing a script when I write the first one. Um, I don't know necessarily who's going to be drawing, you know, the rest of a series. 
uh, versus something like Department of Truth, where, you know, we started with a multi-year plan and we could really sit down and say, okay, Martin's pace is this, and this is when we're going to have guest artists, and we're going to pick the exact right artist for the exact right tone for this guest issue. You know, there are different different things that you, you get to uh, plan out versus kind of rolling with the punches. But rolling with the punches right. ends up with some really fun stuff. Um, I just finished writing a short for Marvel that won't be announced for a little bit, but uh, an artist who I've you know enjoyed and respected since I was 12 was free to draw it. And I didn't know oh that when I started writing it. Um, yeah. And then it was like, oh, hey, so-and-so is, is up for this. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> like, that's a nice <laughs> surprise as I turn this in. That's funny. And, and, and surprises galore uh, in the future for you too, as you know, Spider-Woman is tying into gang war. I was curious, are you brought in on like the gang war event meetings? Are there gang war event meetings? And <laughs> uh, yeah, what is it like working with the Spidey office, office for this one? Yeah, well, if you've ever seen the movie The Warriors, we all kind of dress up in different colorful <laughs> outfits and then we beat each other to see who gets to, to write the finale to the book. Um, wow. I so, knew it. Yeah, I mean, listen, Zeb and I went multiple rounds and Secret Wars was actually based on Marvel practice. It's true, yeah. Uh, no, it, it, Game War was a, a fun, happy medium because, uh, you know, in the X-Men office, we're connected every single day. We have a, a, a Slack where we're talking. We're constantly bouncing ideas off of each other. Gang War, I was brought in on this this big early planning meeting. So we got to be in on the ground floor and and kind nice. of pitch our stories to each other and see, you know, where characters in some cases literally would fit um, because there's kind of a geographical element to how the story proceeds. Um, so that was a really cool thing to get, get brought in on early in. Uh, and Zeb's been such a great um, mastermind for all of this. He's been in touch with all of us of, okay, you know, I'm writing Jess right now. I'm writing Electro right now. Does this match up with what you're doing in your individual book? How can we right. you know, hit this ending beat the best way possible when you get to the end of your story arc so that it flows back into Amazing Spider-Man? So it's been a really fun, mm -hmm. uh, productive, collaborative process. Um, and it's been interesting to compare it to the X-Men world where we're kind of just <laughs> this one big messy family at all times. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, it's been going on a little bit longer than Gang War because it's just a story arc. Is this what you're referring to? Yeah. As far as like... So there's a, okay. a map of control of New York City, and that, that map's actually going to change throughout the, the months of gang war as different, cool. different powers um, gain and seed control over different uh, neighborhoods. So it's a, you kind of touched on this, but do you have typically like a, a beginning point and end point when you're doing a tie-in like this? Or can you kind of shift and, and, and do what you want with that too? You know, it changes. So something like uh, Dark X-Men, I get confused because I'm writing two D word X-Men. Uh, I have a question for that later. <laughs> uh, Dark X-Men, I knew from the moment Jordan reached out to me that it was going to be five issues. So, mm -hmm. and we knew what was kicking it off with the Hellfire Gala, and we knew what was starting in January with Fall of the House of X and Rise of the Powers of Ten. So all of this has been planned for a very long time. By the time I was approached in like early fall 2022 mm -hmm. summer 2024 was already on an excel sheet um gotcha so with dark x-men i could really plan out okay this is exactly where we're going to start and it's exactly where we're going to leave everybody 
so that Jerry can pick up threads he needs to pick up and mm -hmm. you know anyone anyone else can die horrible deaths <laughs> in the case of my book specifically. Um, <laughs> with Spider-Woman, we did know we didn't know from the start that it was going to expand past gang war, but we knew there was some hope it would. And you'll notice it's the only one that doesn't have gang war officially in the title. It's like right, right. gang war Daredevil, gang war Luke Cage. So mm -hmm. there was that inkling of hope of, you know, let's tell a complete four issue story. Let's have an ending point. But if we can keep it going, mm -hmm. let's, you know, lay some groundwork to expand upon in the next issues. I've said it like a million nice. times since the beginning of my career, but my goal is always to do like a new hope ending. Like if George Lucas uh -huh. had never gone to make another movie, the mm -hmm. first Star Wars would still be a satisfying complete story. Right. But there are plenty of other plot threads that he obviously doesn't resolve in the first movie that go mm -hmm. on into Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So that's my goal on something like Spider, uh, Spider-Woman's Gang War arc. You know, mm -hmm. at the end of four, a complete story will have been told. The complete gang war story will have been told. And you'll get a conclusion. But things that we do in one through four are going to play out farther in subsequent issues. Just from Twitter alone, I think the Spider-Woman fandom is one of the biggest. It's up there <laughs> with Captain Marvel. Uh, and I, I think X-Men is obviously a little bigger. But uh, they're rabid for these books. Uh, I was reviewing most of Carla Pacheco's run. And... Man, they were all over every review. So <laughs> hype when I was hype. And uh, I don't know, have you, have you experienced the Spider-Woman fandom yet? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because it, it does feel like my, my first book at Marvel was an X-Men book. And that's like, mm -hmm. it, jumping into the deep end isn't the right phrase. Like, jumping hmm. into the piranha pool, maybe. <laughs> like, you know, ju jumping into Joe Dante's piranha pool, <laughs> maybe. Uh, because that fandom is so engaged, they're so passionate, yeah. but they also have one trillion different opinions. Um, right. Versus Spider-Woman, I, I was a little surprised by how fervent the the support is online. At, mm -hmm. at least so far, it's been very positive. Like, it seems like a lot of enthusiasm yeah, so. just for just being out in front and center. Like, it's less, right. oh, we need to see XYZ. It's, they kind of yeah, just want to see right. Jessica Drew. <laughs> Where's Rogue? Right. Where's Betsy? Right. Yeah, where's <laughs> Betsy? Wow. That's a question I'm going to hear in my nightmares for years. Um, but yeah, the, the Spider-Woman fandom has just been really passionate and supportive. I've stepped away from social media um, myself, but right. uh, I know in, in the time since the announcement until I, I finally um, beat the, the exit route out of there, they were really engaged and really supportive. So I hope they enjoyed the book. I think they will. I think they will. I, I obviously I got to got to read the first issue uh, early, and yeah, I think there's some. You're cooking. <laughs> Let Steve cook. <laughs> um, I mean, your fingerprints at this point are all over Spider-Man, including uh, Judas Traveler uh, showing up in Marvel <laughs> Unlimited this week with your uh, X-Men Unlimited book with Steve Orlando. Uh, what made him the right fit for your villain? Well, so I, I say both the credit and blame for Judas Traveler go to Steve Orlando. Uh, <laughs> he, he introduced Judas um, back in Marauders as mm. um, the, the narrative pedal of Orcus. And he introduced Judas, I think, a little before I joined the X-Office. I, I might have already been doing X-Men 92 at that point. Um, but I always thought, you know, it's, it's interesting that we have a mutant who has volunteered to join Orcus. And that's really going to have right. to be 
kind of dissected and addressed at some point because I think it, there is a line maybe in the first chapter of Unlimited, if not, it, it comes soon, where Dr. Stasis says, you know, Celine and, and Sebastian Shaw betraying mutants makes sense. Like they get something out of it. And they waited until opportune moments to do it. It's like, okay, the purpose of Krakoa has been expended for me. Here's my new most advantageous ally. Judas, on the other hand, he threw in his lot really early. Um, and he's also a character named Judas. Judas. <laughs> so <laughs> if you have any familiarity with Judeo-Christian uh, uh, yeah. myth and story, you know, that's a loaded name. Um, so I just thought when we got the opportunity to do a Firestar story, uh, when Jordan said that that was going to be the next arc, I remember that Judas was was at the very top of Orcus as a volunteer mutant trader, and Firestar is embedded in Orcus as an unwilling fake trader. <laughs> so it just seemed right, like a right. natural way to um, bring that clash to a head and and examine mm. finally take the time to examine what Judas is doing there. The first chapter came out this week, I think, and. I really liked it. I think you guys are really doing a good job with getting into Firestar's head too. Is it difficult getting into that that thought place because she is in this really unique, probably high anxiety, uh, you know, situation? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's fun because it felt like coming home too. Because uh, the first mm. thing I I wrote, the first in continuity print issue I did at Marvel was the X Men Annual, which was a Firestar spotlight. Um, and I've loved Firestar since I was a kid and got amazing, uh, you know, Spider-Man and Friends on on VHS. Um, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. So I've always had an affection for this character. I've always liked mutants who are not primarily associated with the X-Men. I think at this point, Firestar is. You know, we've we've mm-hmm. accomplished that over the past couple of years. But I've always been fascinated by characters like her and, and Judas Traveler and Justice. Mutants who are out and about in the world and their home base is not necessarily... Charles Xavier uh, right. and co. So no, it's, it's fun. And it's fun to turn the screws on a character like Angelica because she's been through some really tough things in her life, but she has managed to overcome. And now she's in such a, a tense, isolated, lonely position. So even when she was going through cancer, she had like her best gal pals with her, you know, Marvel divas and, and those books. Like she had a really strong support network and now she's got nobody. She's embedded behind yeah. enemy lines. The only people who know her secret are people who are not like, you know, Kate Pride's not going to drop by to hang out and make sure she's doing okay. <laughs> like that's right, not right. that's not in in the cards right now. So Firestar's got a really kind of take care of herself while also looking out for all of mutant kind. That's a lot of pressure to put on her. You know, considering all the pieces uh, spilling out of Hellfire Gala this year, Firestar is like one of the most compelling to me because she really is this, I mean, you can really do some interesting character work with her. Um, One second. (laughs) Yeah. I got a cat. (laughs) This is Charlie. Um, He's one years old. Oh, what a baby. (laughs) But he is. He really is. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, listeners at home should also know that David has um, like a, a CG <laughs> background of the Spider Woman cover. So Charlie right. the cat did not register at first. So he's just carrying a big, <laughs> big piece of empty space. Blob. He's a big guy. And then Charlie suddenly appears on camera. Is very satisfying. Oh man. Um, no, but I, I, I think it's so compelling. I, I'm actually surprised. It's, I mean, not to disparage Marvel Unlimited, but I'm surprised it's not its own mini because. 
honestly, that that is one of the only one of the one of the main characters I'm really fascinated by, by right now. I mean, with Jean Grey, you've got some interesting stuff too. But then I don't really know what's really happening. Whereas Firestar, like you can kind of you know put yourself in her position because she really is facing enemies on all sides except for Kate Pride at this point. But it was close. <laughs> it was close for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so ever since Unlimited launched, and you know, the the first arc was Jonathan Hickman and Declan Shalvey. So it launched uh, to much fanfare, and I think. Everyone at Marvel, uh, particularly Jordan, have really been trying to figure out what's going to work the best for Unlimited to where mm-hmm. it's, it's a difficult balance to strike because the the average comic reader in 2023 still loves single issue floppy comics, physical right. comics. Like that is the primary delivery system and we see it proven over and over again. And something like Unlimited, which is a, a digital subscription service, it's a tough balancing act. And I'm just speaking like as a consumer, you know, I'm not speaking sure. on behalf of Marvel. It's a tough balancing act right. because you want to give value and you want to give exclusive value, but you also don't want people to feel like, oh, I picked up an issue and then I, it's not fulfilling because it led me somewhere else. Like I'm not getting a full story. So right, we're, right now we're kind of in the midst of experimenting with how that's going to work the best. For a long time, Unlimited was a place where you could tell stories for characters like Maggot or, uh, you know, Marrow and Feral, who wouldn't necessarily justify a, a print spotlight at that moment in time, but you could break them out in their own solo adventures, which I think is incredibly cool. Like characters, you know, that's been part of the fun of Krakoa is that everyone's back on the table. So, right. you know, if you had said a couple of years ago, there would be a, a solo Maggot story, I think people would be very surprised, <laughs> but now right. we got the chance to do that. What we're doing now, starting with the Sunfire arc, is exploring how we can tie into current continuity more. Right, that's good. Things that we're not necessarily going to fit into, um, you know, the space Jerry has or the space Kieran or Al or anyone else has. How can we spotlight these stories? And uh, Steve and I are really grateful to be working um, on Unlimited for this foreseeable future. And we're working with artists like Lynn, who did the Sunfire arc, and now uh, Guillermo Sana, who's doing the Firestar arc. Um, but it's been fun because it's also unlimited can be a little more flexible. So when we're in our meetings and we're saying, oh, you know, who's going to handle? I can't spoil anything, but like, let's let's pretend we didn't know where Sunfire's story was going to be told. We knew this was a point right. for a long time, but when we're saying like, oh, you know, who's going to tell the story of what happens to Sunfire in Otherworld? Where is that going to fit? And it's like, well, mm-hmm. you know, the way my arc is building, I'm not going to have a lot of space for him. I could only spare a couple pages. Oh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not really going in this direction anymore. So then we can say, oh, Unlimited, we have the space, we're more flexible. We can take on this story. Or like, there's a <laughs> character in um, December who fans have been asking, when are we going to see this character's reaction to something that happened mm. recently in the books? We're going to mm. see it in December in Unlimited because she, mm. she wasn't falling under anyone else's umbrella. And Steve, uh-huh. Steve and I saw the opportunity of, oh, we can do this. We can spotlight her here. We can really tell that story. Everyone's trying to think what what character does he mean he he did say a gender folks he said said a gender it is not betsy or rachel i those fans are very passionate very excited Uh, they're gonna have lots of things to look forward to in the spring in this case i am still not talking about betsy 2024 is for you guys 2023 oh look at that stop holding your breath (laughs) don't expect well that's true there's only a few more weeks yeah Yeah. but 2024 we're gonna hit the ground running you're gonna see plenty of rachel and betsy 
I bet. I mean, everybody's really excited for what's going to happen just because Tom Brevroot is taking over likely in June. I don't really know, but uh, it's interesting seeing the fandom because like there are people that are having a crisis because <laughs> they're like, this means everything I love is dead. And then there are other people that are like, good, I need a, I think it deserves a reset or whatever. <laughs> um, it's just so interesting when you're like, uh, I mean, you're not on social anymore, but like, like we used to be or used to be, and I am like, we're so tapped into like everyone's whims or at least the loudest voices because you know it's probably not the majority in a lot of cases yeah i mean so it's funny for me from so many angles first off you know tom has been at marvel since several months before i was born tom loves (laughs) marvel comics like yeah there's this funny reaction and it's happened to almost every editor there where a certain segment of fandom becomes convinced that their goal in life is to crush and destroy a segment of marvel comics and it's just right this is their jobs and livelihood <laughs> like tom right, has right. spent 34 years at this company uh his his mm-hmm. goal is to tell the best stories possible and that's always going to be all of their goals it's very funny to me but just as you said any given piece of news or tidbit or tease you can click on mm-hmm. the quote retweets and see someone saying this is the best thing ever and this is the absolute mm-hmm. worst thing ever and both of them is are completely sure that they have the majority opinion right that's true and that's why it's, <laughs> you just have to like tune it out at a certain point because the other sure. other thing the you know i i hate to say it but this has been true for many years twitter is is not reflective of who buys comics <laughs> Like, it's just, it's just not like you commonly see people saying like, oh, I'm so over Peter Parker and Bruce Wayne. We never need another Spider-Man and Batman story. And then you go and check in what sells and the most consistent sellers are Batman and Spider-Man. Like, it's not, you know, it's, we just have seen for over a decade now that online chatter does not really reflect foot traffic into stores. Um, Right. Which does not mean that that passion isn't appreciated or can't, you know, I said before, Betsy was planned for a, a relatively small role in the spring. And mm-hmm. once Jerry leaked that I was working with Rachel and Betsy and I saw how excited people were, Betsy's role grew probably fivefold. And that is not to say that, you know, you should harass creators or like demand XYZ. <laughs> no. But it was a moment where I was like, okay, you know what? People are very excited at the prospect of Betsy. Mm-hmm. I should reconsider what I was thinking. I actually, I think she could have a much bigger role in this. It's going to serve mm. the story. It's going to make sense. And that was a thought process that began from seeing that that passion. So nice. I don't want to sound like I'm like dragging the idea of social media. It's just like, no, no, we have to remember that it's it's not necessarily one to one with reality. Right, right. And also you're, you're planning this stuff out months in advance. Um, oh, yeah. When I, Chip Tardarski was on the show earlier, uh, this uh, a couple weeks ago, he was saying he's up to like, issue 141 or 142 on Batman. Like he's many months ahead writing this. I have a June script due next week. (laughs) That's crazy. So, you know, we're we're not that ahead on everything, but oftentimes things do. Something I wrote just now is is coming out in August. Like sometimes we are quite far ahead. So it's it's not a fast turnaround business in a lot of ways. Right, right. well, then we also have uh, All Eight Eyes coming out uh, November 29th, same day as Spider-Woman. That's a big day for you. Um, I I loved the concept. I, I also was like shocked when it came out because I haven't seen like spiders or giant spiders as an enemy or threat 
I, I unless it's like you know some space spider or something. Yeah. Um, what led you down this project? Was this something you've been percolating on for many years, or it really is? Um, because the very earliest version of this pitch or idea was, um, I had been contacted probably like five years ago now, if not longer, um, for this site that's kind of like Netflix for kids books. It's called Epic, and people who have have kids uh, or teachers or librarians or anything like that probably know about it. And if you don't, you have no reason to. But they started mm-hmm. doing original stories, and I ended up doing um, something called Adventure Kingdom for them, which ran for um, a number of issues. <clears throat> it was like a fun fantasy action adventure story. Um, but they had originally talked about doing something in kind of the Goosebumps vein. Mm. And I spent a day walking around Astoria in Queens, where I lived at the time, and just kind of um, jotting down ideas in my phone, things that came to me. And one of the things that I wrote down had to do with the fact that if you live in a city like New York, there are empty places you see year after year. And it seems to be no change. No one goes in, no one goes out. It doesn't go up Hmm. for sale. It doesn't like, doesn't seem to change hands. It's just like a bizarrely vacant storefront. And I started thinking about the idea of like trap spider, trapdoor spiders hiding in urban environments. So that was like the earliest idea was going to be a kid focused. I think it was going to have like a humanoid anthropomorphic spider. Like it was going to be, you know, spooky and not scary. And over time, um, you know, there was an idea that just went, went in the the depths of, of word documents on my computer. And when James Tyne and I put together razor blades at the beginning of the pandemic, um, and we put together our own horror anthology to tap into a lot of our, friends and and pros that we admire who uh if folks remember at the beginning of the pandemic there was a a pencils down moment for comics a couple months where people were told you know stop drawing stop writing we're not sure what's going to happen we're not going to sure we're not sure when we can print things so we had a lot of friends who were suddenly free and we were like oh let's do a a complicated expensive (laughs) self-publishing adventure um and i knew i wanted to do something for i did a couple different stories for the the anthology but i i knew i wanted to revive this idea and uh that's when it took on a much more serious tone and a much more adult tone and i knew from the start i wanted to do anatomically accurate spiders to me the entire crux of what was scary about it was the idea that we would be prey to an unthinking predator it's not an alien it's not a mutant mm. it doesn't want to get us for vengeance it doesn't want to get us for like some rationality it's just an eating machine like it is a a predator and we are flies or aphids and that's what was scary to me um and i, I really lucked out because i reached out to Piotr kowalski um, who's an artist i've loved for a long time I just DM'd him on Twitter, had never spoken to him before, had never interacted with him before, and he was into it. Uh, and Piotr can really draw anything. He was the perfect artist for it because he he can do realistic looking spiders. Because in my mind, if it ever slipped into fantasy, if it ever slipped into action, it lost mm-hmm. what was scary about it. So mm-hmm. Piotr keeping everything so grounded, Piotr drawing these, these you know, decrepit detailed New York City environments um that's really what what made it work for me uh but also in the telling at Dark Horse I realized that even with kind of the lofty ambitions 
it's also my love letter to stuff like alligator and piranha and grizzly and orca and jaws <laughs> just that yeah. giant animal eco horror that was such a boom mm -hmm. in like the late 70s and early 80s um mm. and i always go back to alligator because i feel like that's the platonic ideal of those movies like there's a little bit of goofiness but mm -hmm. they play it straight and also, you know, it is fairly frightening at times when you see giant jaws of something going down on a human being. The, the, they're sort of scary, too, in that they're they're filled with goo, right? And they're also <laughs> furry. I don't know. There's just, there's so many reasons to be afraid of spiders, um, spiders even if you don't have arachnophobia. Yeah, they don't scare me at all. I really love spiders. Um, and, I, you know, I don't kill them. I, I'm a vegan, so I don't kill anything. <laughs> like, I felt bad writing them dying in this book. But I was like, well, you know, they're giant monster yeah. spiders. I guess it's only fair. Mm -hmm. The thing that scares me that does get a one-panel shout-out is centipedes. I'm absolutely petr mm. petrified of centipedes. Yeah. Even saying... Just move on naturally. Yeah, even saying the name grosses me out. I like get the tingle up my spine. So I said if we did a sequel, it would be called Ten Thousand Legs, and it would just be Ooh, giant, nice. giant centipedes. But that also seems really rude to ask anyone to draw. <laughs> you draw <laughs> some people to have pets. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. When we had Ryan Stegman on, he was saying um, the last thing he wants to draw is the interior of a baseball stadium filled with people, and that's probably <laughs> similar if you were to do a book like that. Um, <laughs> I was just in Italy and I didn't know they had scorpions and those two, there was little ones, but they were like, they're kind of shiny and they looked almost wet and they're like, you know, they just don't look like they, a, a being shouldn't be like that. You know, the shape. <laughs> I always think you're about, just, you're, yeah, I think yeah. about that with scorpions too. I was like, I think you're, mm. you're like an overpowered character. Like you equip too many weapons. <laughs> yeah. It's got the back. It's got the front. Yeah. It's got poison. Well, I mean, how much more do you need? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so you've got, you mentioned earlier, you've got Dark X-Men, you've got Dead X-Men. If there were a trilogy of DX titles, <laughs> what would the adjective be on your finale third series? Oh, you know, it's been such a gauntlet and I'm doing so many things. I I'd love to write like depressed X-Men like ooh, i like it because yeah. then i could just kind of write them sitting around and mm -hmm. feeling lethargic uh you know it, it could really take some of the pressure off of me where i just do like splash page after splash page of emma sure. on a chaise lounge eating mm -hmm. cheetos in her dining room wolverine bed. playing alan wake too yeah you know it's, well so he's sad. probably just drinking uh <laughs> wolverine would just be drinking. Uh, that's true but yeah i i think i'm primed and ready for depressed x-men now Mm, I like it. Yeah, I don't know if fans would, but, you know, if you take a comedic angle, it could really work. I think. You know, there's some dark, it's, it's dark humor. They got a, yeah, yeah, yeah. people want the slice of life. So we're going to show them the dark, That's true. the darkest, <laughs> most depressed slice of life possible. Right. This scene hasn't changed. It's it's 20 pages of them in one room. What is going on here? I'm depressed. This comic works. Exactly. I think I can pull it off. Oh, man. Uh, you mentioned recently on X-Men Monday that uh, Claremont and Cockrum were on top of mind with Dead X-Men. Uh, are there any particular parts of their run that worked for you and maybe were on your mind when crafting Dead X-Men? Well, it's difficult because I don't want to give too much away. A lot of Dead X-Men yeah. spins out of what Kieran is planning and Rise of the Powers of X. Um, mm -hmm. So when I evoked Claremont and Cockrum, I think there's such a sense of high adventure to their early runs. Um, you know, they were so inspired by like Star Wars and Star Trek and various um, fantasy settings. 
so you have like the star jammer issues were really right. top of mind for me like the stuff with the shiar imperial garden which is not to say either of those even appear in dead expin but that sure. that sense of high adventure of far-flung adventure and also mm. the idea of something that's happened to the x-men over the years and happened to a lot of characters at, at marvel and dc is a sense of power creep if you go back to like the early x-men issues you know wolverine wasn't like running through a hail of bullets if he got hit kind of hard he's like oh man yeah. i gotta you know i'll recover fast but it's gonna take me a day or two you know there, right, there were a lot right. more limitations nightcrawler could teleport once or twice and get winded um, mm -hmm. so there was really a sense that these are extraordinary people but they're in super extraordinary situations and everything comes with risk and drawbacks and danger and so the cast of dead x-men which I guess it was like kind of support so, uh, supposed to be a mystery, but I think everyone knows who the cast of that <laughs> X-Men is. It's, uh, right, that cover gives away a lot. Yeah, right? our mystery cover is not too much of a mystery. Um, the cast of Dead X-Men, none of those characters are, you know, Omega level mutants. None of those characters are invulnerable unless they're blasting. Uh, none of those characters like are, are who you think of when you think of like the first round of of powerhouses so mm -hmm. that to me is like such a classic x-men scenario to have extraordinary resilient characters in far-flung adventures where there is real danger and risk to them and they've all died that sounds exciting they've all died once and who knows if they'll die again in the course of the book <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you really like killing off superheroes I, <laughs> I don't even. It just happens so uh, naturally. <laughs> I'm just so good at it. And you know, we have some uh, real nasty customers in Dark X Men, so I think it would it would be unsatisfying if we didn't kill a few of them off. That makes sense. It's in their nature. Exactly. But the Dead X Men, despite the name, are are a little more heroic. So I I wouldn't expect the same kind of body count from Dead X Men as Dark X Men. Okay, okay. All right. Jot that down right here. Depressed X-Men, on the other hand, anything goes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> um, man, when you were talking about, you know, characters getting winded, I just immediately, my mind goes to the X-Men animated series and Jean Grey constantly <laughs> passing out. Ah! Well, so, you know, we talked about Twitter earlier. That was one of the funniest things when X-Men 92, House of 92 got announced, my first Marvel project. I would, uh, besides Spider-Ham, which wasn't at Marvel proper, um, I would say that like the number one comment I got from the moment of announcement were Gene yeah. fans who were already mad at me because they were sure I was going to have Gene mm. fainting. <laughs> which she never does over the course of the book. She in fact once catches wow. Scott when he faints. So, but they were, they were already so sure mm. I was going to play into that meme uh, and they That's were very mad at me about it from, from the moment. Wow, they already made up their mind on you. That's how it goes sometimes. Well, I've made up my mind on you and I think you have uh, so much great work coming out and I'm sure there's even more coming out that we haven't even talked about. Is there anything else you wanted to plug right now before we, we sign off? Oh, yeah. Well, thank you very much for saying so. Uh, the main things to plug are really Spider-Woman, you know, Corolla Borelli, uh, Arif Prianto, and the rest of us. We are giving it our all on this book, and we hope to run it for multiple story arcs and really get to spend some time with Jessica Drew. So the more people support this first arc, the better chance we have of telling more Jess stories in the future. Um, and like I've said elsewhere, you know, if you come from the gang war side, yes, this ties in. But if you're just a Jessica Drew fan, we give you everything you need to know about gang war. You're not going to have the feeling of, oh, I got to read other books to understand this. So don't be scared off by the tie-in status. 
Um, I definitely hope people pick up All Eight Eyes and Trade Paperback. It's my first creator-owned miniseries. Um, I have other stuff in the works at Dark Horse coming out in 2024. Um, nice. But I hope folks will check this out and see all of Piotr and Brad Simpson and, and Haas's amazing work. And then as you mentioned, The Deviant, which is the latest title I'm editing uh, with James Tynan, launches this month. It's uh, a very somber, very serious, very grounded story. It's the most realistic story that James has told um, in quite some time. Uh, and then if you want something less realistic, World Tree comes back next month. Um, readers who picked up number five know that the scope of the book expanded a lot at the end of the arc. So we're really excited to explore that more into the second arc. And then I think that about covers it for now uh, until Dead X-Men in January. Um, X-Men Unlimited every Monday. Uh, and oh my God, so much. <laughs> fans... Is Razorblades coming back? Not for the foreseeable future. James and I really okay. want to do more with Razorblades. It's just such a, yeah. a high-intensity project. It, mm -hmm. it will return, but uh, we're not ready to put a date on <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the, the other thing I would say is fans of Webweaver, um, the spider hero that I helped co-create, uh, who's on where you could see him next uh, coming out either this month or next. And it's not where you expect. And you have a newsletter, yeah? Um, yeah, I do have a newsletter. I've been kind of uh, delinquent with it, but now that I'm off of social media, I'm, I'm planning to kick that back up. So folks can check out stevefox.com. That's F-O-X-E. And that's also got a link to my newsletter. Awesome. Well, Steve, thank you so much for your time. And this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. Anytime. <laughs>